Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Christopher Shadforth, Communications Director of the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, we're joined by Melissa Collett and Andrew Gething. This episode of the podcast, Melissa Collett, Executive Director of Professional Standards at the CII, and Andrew Gething, Founder and Managing Director of Morgan Ash, are in conversation discussing the introduction of the SCA's consumer duty and customer vulnerability. Welcome, Melissa, and welcome, Andrew. Over to you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thanks, Chris, for the introduction, and welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, um, Andrew, let's start at the beginning. Why is vulnerability so important? Yeah, very, very good question. It's interestingly, the a lot of the FCA stuff talks about the outcomes, which is all good. But one of the basics uh, you need for consumer duties is to understand the consumer. And the vulnerability legislation came out a while ago, back in February 21. Uh, that was the FG221. And that very much focused on the individual and looking after the individual, being empathetic and getting them better. And, and it was more of a one-to-one, uh, uh, it was it focused on a one-to-one basis. Consumer duty has really upgraded that. And, and it's worth noting there's a few key areas. Um, so the first on, it, it's, it's looking for people to be active rather than reactive. So to really find out where people are vulnerable or not, um, rather than just waiting for them to come to us. Uh, The second key thing, I think, is that we need to understand vulnerability uh, as well as at an individual level, but also at a firm level. Uh, And I'll go on a bit a bit more about that. And then the, the third point is we need evidence. We need to have an audit trail. We need to be able to report to the board. As we all know, duty requires the board to attest every year that they're complying with the consumer duty. So, uh, and then the fourth point, uh, I think it's the fourth big point really, is we need to ensure the product is suitable over time. And and hence there's an obligation then to try to monitor the consumer's characteristics or their vulnerability over time. So if I I quote um, quote from the the, the handbook, so principle 2A 7.4, want to get specific, they states, in relation to the needs and characteristics of retail customers, a firm should, amongst other things, and I'm cutting this out, regard to the nature and scale of, of characteristics vulnerability that exists in any relevant target market. In dealing with particular retail customers, pay appropriate regard to the needs and characteristics of that retail customer, such as characteristics of vulnerability, and understand how to actively identify information that indicate vulnerability and where relevant seek information from retail customers with characteristics of vulnerability. Set up systems and processes in a way that support and enable retail customers with characteristics of vulnerability to disclose their needs. So you see there's quite a there's quite an onus obligation then to understand at both a firm level and an individual level and, and to be able to, to, to record that and audit that over time. So it's quite a big uplift, um, and I and I think it's, it's really, quite frankly, it's a, it, it's, it's a base requirement of, of the whole of consumer duty. Yes, and now that consumer duty, it's it's only five months away. 
um, is the implementation deadline for new and existing products. So it's clearly vital that firms make it a priority and ensure that they're fulfilling all the requirements um, that they need to. A recent FCA report said a lot of companies aren't doing enough. And actually, one of the aspects being overlooked is vulnerability. So what? where can firms get this vulnerability data from? Well, that's a really good question. So so unfortunately, there's there's no magic database. It would be lovely if there was a sort of an Experian would give us that information. Um, so Experian and, and, and other databases, they can give us affordability data, um, but there is no vulnerability data available. Some people have done some work on socioeconomic profiling, but the problem with that, it still doesn't tell you exactly the vulnerability of the individual, the characteristic of the individual. What we do know is that around 50% are vulnerable, and hence, to find those 50%, we need to assess everyone. Uh, and the only place, essentially, is to go to the consumer themselves to find that data. The one, one exception to that, when I say there's no database, is, is there is a, um, a database called the Vulnerability Registration Service, and, and that is a charity which holds vulnerable data, and it takes data from mostly from councils um, and from charities like gambling uh, charities, but the coverage is relatively small. Um, so uh, we can't rely on that if because we need to know vulnerability about everyone. So faced with this challenge of then how do we understand the, the vulnerability of everyone, um, in our view, the most cost-effective way to obtain the information um, at both a firm level is, is to collate that, which, it, which you gather from an individual level. Now, that's not an FCA requirement. You could have the, all the information at an individual level and then do something separate at a firm level. Uh, but certainly for new customers uh, and existing customers you're, we have an ongoing relationship with, in our view, it is the most cost-effective way is to take that individual data and then collate it up to be uh, uh, for, for everyone at a firm level. The, the exception that would be back books, for example, um, where using some socioeconomic and that sort of thing, but we've got a year until we need to, to look at, um, at back books. Yeah, so the implementation deadline that's coming up is for the new and existing products or services that are open for sale or renewal. Um, but can I just go back a second and ask you about that 50% number? I mean, gosh, 50% of us are vulnerable. Can you um, evidence that or or clarify what you mean by that? Sure. So, so uh, we will all be vulnerable at some point. So, uh, you know, we, we'll all have a bereavement uh, assuming we all have parents, uh, you know, we'll we'll all suffer, uh, we'll be vulnerable at some point. Um, but so those that 50% figure, it comes from sort of three sources really. One is the the FCA financial life survey, um, which which and this ranged, you know, I say 50%, sort of 40 to 60% range. Um, but that sort of order, uh, and that I think had 30,000 people uh, in its assessment. And that includes people who have, you know, what you referred, may refer to as maybe a mild or a minor vulnerability. We also know if we look at the utility industry, they have what's referred to as the preferential service register. And, and you look at that, and that's where people have volunteered, consumers have volunteered to go on that register. Those are in that sort of region of 50%. And then finally, from our own work, uh, where we have a, a, a method to assess and, and, and manage vulnerability, our customers are reporting exactly that same sort of figure. So there's, there's no doubt um, that that 50% figure is around about uh, is around about correct. 
Thank you, Andrew. Um, really interesting. And, and, and thanks for sharing those sources of data. So you mentioned some work that you are doing um, with firms. And can you tell me a bit more about the data that, that you're collecting on behalf of firms? Sure. So, so we're um, so we we have a, a, a process uh, where we get we go out and we collect data. Now it's a system essentially. We're using questionnaires, uh, which can be completed by the consumer or by the advisor uh, or by the agent, um, and we're we're collecting that and we collect it in in several different ways. We have an overall score we call the full Mars score. Uh, so Mars is the Morgan Nash Resilience System, and and then we break that down into what we call primary characteristics, which are health, wealth, and life events. And those are identified by the FCA. And then we have additional what we call secondary characteristics, which are financial understanding, engagement capability, and then any support network uh, which that person may be using. And, and uh, to sort of back up, most people have a vulnerability, will have a coping mechanism uh, they uh, to manage that vulnerability. And in a lot of cases, that is a support network will be their their partner. For example, is very common one one in a in a in a marriage or or cohabiting. One of those people will um you know be will do all the finances. It's important just to to break vulnerability down into um. We talk about vulnerable customers, and and vulnerability is the word we all use because that's the legislation. But the we need to sort of identify that uh, there, there's no such thing as a vulnerable customer. There is uh, consumer characteristics and and then circumstances and and the combination of those two may lead to a vulnerability so um uh, understanding then the severity of those uh, of the um of the issues uh, and the impact on the on the person is in itself very important um so for example a divorce you know you could be at home two kids no money in in a really vulnerable situation or you you could be sailing around the med happy as Larry uh, with with a new partner. So understanding how that impacts you is, is really important. I see. So that's the why you put the characteristics together with the circumstances. Correct. Yeah, and the circumstances in financial services is typically of selling a product or, or or servicing a product or claiming. So that's actually the sort of the point at which somebody's engaging in a transaction or. Is when they're acting as a customer in relation to a, a firm. Yes, no, absolutely. So, and 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 it's clear we need to avoid causing potential harms. So, in our interaction with the customer, um, you know, if they would have a vulnerability, we need to make sure we're not compounding that or making that any worse. So, if that vulnerability or that characteristic is they don't understand financial um, issues, then we need to make sure that we're not giving them something very complex. We can't rely on them reading the terms and conditions, for example, if we know they don't understand this stuff. Well, you've just opened a massive can of worms there, Andrew, with reading the terms and conditions, because I think there's plenty of people that we might not class as vulnerable who still don't read the terms and conditions. But let, let's let's park that one just where it is for the moment. <laughs> but what I'm quite interested in exploring with you is, you know, you, you're you're saying there's this this huge number of, of circumstances and characteristics that rise to vulnerability. You mentioned the 50 percent. Now, um, you know. You're um, suggesting that the the information, whilst there are sources available, um, public sources available, you're suggesting collecting the information from the customer directly. But will the customer actually provide this information? 
Will they be comfortable in doing so? Yeah, uh, the, the answer is yes. And, 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 and let me caveat that. So, so there is a perception within financial services that our customers won't talk about their health and lifestyle. And, and, and generally, people uh, try to avoid doing that. And, and to be honest, that is a, a sort of a, a bit of a myth because customers will provide the information uh, as long as they know why, why, we're, why we're providing it. So there's an information exchange. So we say to people, uh, you know, typically in our correspondence and emails and so forth, we'd say, um, dear Mr. Customer, you know, we want to give you the best advice we can. Um, the more we understand about your circumstances, then the better we can advise you. And hence, uh, you know, there's a value exchange there. Um, so the more we need to try and explain to customers uh, why we need that information, and 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 we've you know uh, I mean us as a company we we do we do medical assessments uh, and we have been doing for twenty years uh, and we have we have very 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 few complaints and indeed ever since we launched our, our Mars tool we started doing this what over a year ago now in in or it started in March last year we've not had any complaint so you will have a few people who may refuse to do it uh, but they are very very few. So the vast majority of people will be happy to share information. Also, the way we do it in the tool, if there's a particular question someone doesn't like, then they don't have to answer it. So, you know, you can take, um, you know, a half or three course of the information uh, and that's still the system still works. Can I just challenge that for a second? Um, because I, I know, you know, from, you know, in the past, there has been an issue around disclosing health issues on application forms, for example, for life insurance. And, and, and we know about the issues with that. Um, and, and I believe a lot of companies have used health professionals to elicit this information from customers. And I believe, you know, that's also something that you've done in the past. So how how is this going to work if it's a financial advisor, let's say, or an insurance professional asking the questions about health? Yeah, it's a good point. So, so we, um, you know, simplistically speaking, uh, you know, we we offer three ways uh, to collect the information. So, one is the consumer completing an online form. Uh, the second is is an advisor or an agent completing the same sort of information on an online form. And the third method we offer is for one of our nurses to do the medical assessment. And and certainly, I would say, and and we've done this for life insurance. Um, that we, we know we get better information if you have a medically trained person asking someone about financial information, just as you know, um, uh, a financial advisor will get better information or finance information than if one of our nurses asked that asked those questions. Now, the question is, at what level of accuracy do we need this data? So I'm advocating, um, you know, from my experience of doing this, and we've done it, uh, you know, for annuities, for life insurance, for claims, for applications for years now, I think for vulnerability assessment, because we're not selling a life insurance policy based on that. So the, the level of accuracy, I don't think, is as high as we need for life insurance application. And indeed, we ask less questions. Uh, we're asking more general, uh, more simpler approach. So I advocate that our, our nurse interview um, would only be used uh, essentially when, when you know someone has dementia, for example. A couple of firms have said to me, um, because they like it being independent, they would use it for equity release, for example, or maybe for DB transfer. So where you know there's a, there's a high potential um, that there's maybe a risk associated with it, then, um, then that would be appropriate to use. But there's an extra cost for that. 
you know, sending an email, getting a consumer to complete an online form essentially is, you know, got zero costs associated to it. So that is the most popular way to do it. As yet, we don't know what level of accuracy we need from that point of view. You know, we haven't done enough of this to be able to go, that is the right level of accuracy. And only until really we've been running this for a while can we say, well, we asked this information, uh, we identified a potential harm, we mitigated that harm, and then how much harm did occur? You know, probably two or three years down the road, we can go, okay, actually there was all these harms and we didn't get enough granular information up front or the consumer you know, wasn't honest enough with us up front. We need to upgrade that. So that's a cycle we just have to go, we're going to have to go through. I see. So generally, this is going to be a consumer-led provision of information. But how do you deal with the situation where people have transient vulnerabilities? So you've taken information at one point, and then later down the line, there's a bereavement or a lifestyle change. Then what? Yeah, so so this is this becomes quite tricky because, uh, as you know, um, the the consumer duty regulation requires, uh, and I think it says, a firm with an ongoing relationship with the retail customer in relation to a product would need to act to avoid causing foreseeable harm that the customer throughout the lifestyle of that product. So there's an obligation there. We need to understand the customer throughout that time. Now. Generally, this is being interpreted uh, about looking for major changes in lifestyle. So changes of you know marital status, employment, and we we don't have to be you know absolutely on the money with that. Uh, so generally, people are looking at doing annual reviews. So advisors doing annual reviews, I think, is absolutely fine. I think what won't be fine is where there's no review of that customer, say, for ten years. Uh, and you know, the, the, um, be it done through a non-advice sale, or there's no longer an advisor involved, um, that's problematic. Uh, and I think the, the you know the, there is an obligation there. We need to make sure we're making sure the product is suitable for their circumstances. And and you know, uh, marital status and employment, you know, certainly for an insurance or for mortgages and things, is going to apply in that situation. I see. So this raises the the next question I want to ask is. We're collecting all this data and and continuing to collect on an annual basis, as you say. So, who is storing all of this data? Yeah, so so there there becomes then, in my view, you need to turn to technology. So we we have a system which does that. Uh, it's all stored. It's stored in the cloud. Um, it's all under ISO, cyber essentials, and so forth, and kept securely. And, and as part of that, if you're going to then monitor that over time, you need to have in, in our view, a, a, a method which gets you consistency. Because if you have individuals who are making assessment of vulnerability, they're all different. And, and hence, the results, the data you get from that is very poor. So in our view, you have to have an objective way to measure um, the vulnerability or those characteristics. Uh, so we have one, we call it a resilience rating. Um, you know, people may well, uh, uh, you know, create their own. But unless you have some sort of objective way of measuring the severity and the impact on the customer, then it, it's very difficult to for someone else to come along and go uh, and read, you know, some notes in a CRM system, for example, and 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 just recording someone who's vulnerable or not vulnerable is, is just too simplistic. It's about saying someone's rich or poor. You know, you 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 know, if I said to you, oh, I've got a new CRM system, it says you're rich or poor. That you know, that people would would laugh, and and hence the same when it comes to looking at people's characteristics. 
And so, you know, I can see that sort of binary yes, no is 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 going to fall short of the requirements. But what is the FCA saying about what's expected in terms of um, ratings or or, you know, uh, assessing all of this data? Yeah. So the so the FCA has, you know, I think quite cleverly is it, it, saying to firms, right, it, you know, this is more principle based. It's saying we're looking at the the outcomes. We want to make sure um, that the the customer doesn't end up in harm, and that you financial services are certainly not causing harm, uh, and and ideally, you know, mitigating any harm. So they're talking about outcomes and outputs at the end. You know, clearly, from my point of view, to understand what's going to happen in the future, you need to understand what happens at the start. So, and vulnerability is one of those things. You know, at the point of sale, understanding those characteristics. So. Who does that? Is that the in is you know, who stores the data? Is that the intermediary or the manufacturer? Well, it can be either, but as long as as someone is storing it, you know, we have a system which will do that. People may have their own. That's absolutely fine. Um, they've got to have some sort of objective way of doing it. They've got to have some structure to it. And it's, so you can you can anyone can go and say, okay, I know this person. They were assessed on this day. We got this data. And then this person's, you know, their their assessment has changed. They've they've got better or worse over time, and we know what that characteristic is. We know in sufficient detail that we can, that we can put in a, the appropriate what we refer to as treatment, a mitigating strategy um, to try and mitigate that harm. And and a lot of these will be, you know, be quite simple. It will be will be common sense, you know, to a lot of advisors. Things like recommending wills and so forth, powers of attorney. Um, I think what will be interesting is where at the moment uh, you know generally the take up on wills and power of attorney is relatively poor and i think we'll when we, years to come we're looking to go okay that's a poor outcome it's not our fault the customer didn't do it we suggested they do it but they didn't take up a will and power of attorney and that leads to a potential harm for the family so what we need to do is push these things more you know and, and nudge people more and communicate more to get them to take up wills and power of attorney and those sort of things so you know, that's it's it's less necessarily about liability, but just looking at the consumer outcomes. The FCA, you know, they have said um, they're encouraging people to to use data, use technology. Um, you know, I, I think one of the at, at the moment, a lot of advisors will have customer information and vulnerability information in their head. You know, they'll know someone, they'll have a relationship for a long period of time, they'll know their frailties, they'll make adjustments. You know, they'll always go and have a meeting. We know maybe both parties where, where you know, they're getting a bit elderly. Um, uh, you know, they may well speak them through the report knowing they won't read it and this sort of thing. And that's all great. Um, but we now need to have evidence of that. We now need to be able to demonstrate it. And it's a bit like going back to before we did fact finds and evidence. You know, all that was done verbally. We all said it was fine. Um, but there's, there's now no way we'd go back to it. We have to have records and evidence of what we've been doing. Yeah, so you're making that analogy there, um, and and it's sort of we're we're sort of progressing from from the fact find now. Um, so, uh, how do you think the FCA is going to you know enforce this? You were talking about you know what it's going to look like in three years' time. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, so I think one one of the cunning things which the FCA has done, and actually I I haven't heard many people talk about, is is what we refer to as self policing. So. They've included, you know, obviously it's more principle based now, and they've included an item, and uh, it's it's two a nine point what point one seven, I think it is, 
which says a firm in a distribution chain must notify the FCA if it becomes aware that any other firm in that distribution chain is not or may not be complying with the principle 12 or principle 2A, which is essentially the, the main vulnerability and, and, and duty. So that's that's making the industry self-police itself. And I'm not sure a lot of people really caught on to that. Um, so what we, what we can't do anymore is say, oh, it's not my fault, that's the advisor, or you know, that's the manufacturer, it's not my fault, I've done my part. So that's no longer acceptable. We must, you know, and, and the FCA, you know, when it says must, that is a, uh, it's a powerful statement from that point of view. We report that to the FCA. Now, I think it's unlikely, and, and I, you know, from in conversation with the FCA, they don't want us all to, you know, in the beginning of August, start writing in letters to the FCA, this person doesn't do this, this person doesn't do that. So what they're, but what they are expecting us to do is where there are harms occurring is to be going to our partners in distribution chain saying, look, I don't think this is right. You know, we we need to get that better, putting in plans to improve that so that comes right over time. Um, what's not going to be acceptable is is knowing their sort of systematic customer harms caused by someone in your value chain and that continuing on a long-term basis. And I think the FCA will come along and do an audit and go, well, show me, you know, how many times, you know, if, if this is going on, I swear, how many times have you reported that person? And they go, oh, we haven't said, well, actually, that's a failing in itself. So I think you'll have to record where you reported people and for what reason. And even, you know, probably I can see people having lists just like you do on claims and complaints. You'll have, this is where we think there are, there are problems. This is what we've done about it. We've had a conversation with the other party. We've, you know, we've done that. And, you know, we've done it two or three times. and They're not doing anything. So hence, we, we will report that to the FCA. So that self-policing piece, I think, is really, really powerful. Um, and, it, and it puts the onus back on us. I know quite a few people have said to me, oh, you know, the FCA won't enforce it. You know, it's just TCF on steroids. Don't worry about it. Um, I, but I, that self-policing, I think, is, is a big, big change. Thanks. And and so really just to bring this all to a conclusion, I think that the consumer duty, as we've discussed, is really focused on better customer outcomes. Now, in your view, do you think that's what this big slice of, of regulation and change is going to achieve? What are your thoughts on that? I hope so. I, I mean, I think there were certainly if you look at RDO and TCF and things. The intention was there, but we never quite got there. Um, I, I think the, the the way it's being drafted and that looking at outcomes and measuring outcomes is appropriate. So rather than saying every company must do this or tick this box, it's putting responsibility on the industry. I also think in a lot of cases, the industry knows where things are going wrong. And, and you know, and the industry go, yeah, you know, uh, this doesn't work in this right. This, this product shouldn't be sold in that non-advised channel. You can see all these people, you know, are, are not understanding it. Um, so I think that's, uh, I, and I do hope so, that that's going to be right. And also, I think, you know, the FCA has been quite clear uh, that if we don't get it right, then, um, or just to backtrack, one of the consultation pieces uh, was from the charities. They wanted to have the right to sue people in, in um, and I can't remember the correct legal term, but basically have the, the right to address and take people to court uh, if they weren't doing it. And the FCA said, no, we'll still use the financial ombudsman service because that works very well. And uh, but the FCA has said, look, if we don't get this right industry, then we will review that and we'll allow um, that to happen. In which case, you're you know, you're down to the claims, the claims management companies coming in 
and you know uh, being pretty vociferous because it, it won't be difficult then to find areas of systematic uh, issues and be able to chase people on that um so you know there's a um uh I, I think there's a good incentive we get it right also i think a lot of us have been looking to improve trust you know how many conferences uh you know we've both been at melissa where you know the big thing is oh we need to improve trust with the trust with the consumer um if any one company went out and did that you know it probably wouldn't be their commercial advantage we now have the opportunity um that everyone is being forced in the same direction at the same time so and indeed you know the the consultation paper on duty very much said the whole aim is to improve professionalism and trust um so that uh the customer has a better outcome we remove these bad outcomes uh if we remove those bad outcomes we'll improve trust improve trust will be, will be better for the industry overall so yeah i'm i'm an optimist but you know uh, and i think it will uh, there's going to be some real challenges you know there the uh, there's some areas which are pretty woolly and and people say oh we don't know this we don't know that and go well i i think you know we we do know where things are going wrong and we should try and put them right and and it's not any individual there'll be you know there will be individuals who we won't be able to spot will have vulnerabilities and and something bad will happen um and and we won't get that right but it's it's being able to go okay we only had one of those in the last 5 years hence there's not a systemic problem but where there's systemic ongoing problems uh, where customers are having bad outcomes um and uh, you know and quite frankly you know financial services are getting rich on it that's that's what we need to change well, thank you so much, Andrew. And um, I, I could completely agree with the sentiment that we're, we're what we're trying to do is improve professionalism and trust in our sector. That's what the CI exists for. And um, to that end, we've produced a number of resources uh, to help our professional members uh, with the consumer duty. And I'd just like to mention those before we close today. So we have something called the Consumer Duty Good Practice Guide, which is available on our website. We also have a new pilot course on inclusive financial planning, um, and that's to be launched in June. Um, so keep, keep your eyes peeled for that. We also have a Consumer Duty Introductory Module on our Assess online learning platform. So anyone with, with access to Assess can, can do that um, module. And also, on top of all of that, we also have CPD content on consumer duty delivered by, by experts throughout our local institute network. So there are 54 local institutes and there's content throughout that can be, be accessed locally for people if they want to hear more. So I think that um, it's been really fascinating talking to you about the the new changes that we're going to see and how these are going to impact the sector. I really thank you, Andrew, for your time today. And um, I'm going to uh, hand over now to our communications director, Chris. Cheers, Melissa. Cheers, Andrew. Well, thank you very much, Andrew and Melissa, for that fascinating discussion into many of the dimensions and nuances of customer vulnerability in relation to the consumer duty. And thank you all for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>